Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to the show. This is Kevin Hardwick. Uh, thanks to my first hour guest, County Executive Mark Polencars. Also, April Baskin was my co-host. Uh, April, the Erie County Legislature's Majority Leader. I have a new co-host for this hour. It's Bob Klump, a colleague of mine at Canisius College. Bob is the uh, professor and uh, pre-law advisor. Bob, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good morning. We're, we're going to be talking more about something you know a lot more about than I uh, do in a few minutes, the Supreme Court. But we're going to open up this hour with a call to another, I guess, colleague of mine, Ralph Moore. Ralph is the uh, Erie County uh, Republican Party's election commissioner. Uh, Ralph, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. You know, Ralph, whenever I, uh, New York State election law is, uh, is, is difficult to understand. And whenever I have a question about it, you are the go-to guy. Um, recently there was an article in the Buffalo News, I believe it was by Tom Precious and uh, Bob McCarthy. If it wasn't, I apologize. Uh, but it dealt with various scenarios for the gubernatorial ballot in November. And it was just mind-boggling depending on what happens uh, in the primary. I mean, it all comes back to uh, New York State being one of the few uh, states in the union with electoral fusion. Uh, for our listeners, you can probably give a better description of fusion than I can. What is, what is fusion? Well, fusion voting is adding the votes from various parties onto a single candidate's uh, line. Uh, many of the states only allow and list the candidate's name to appear once on the ballot, and you vote for that person uh, on the line that he that he lists. In New York State, we have multiple lines. Uh, there's a number of parties that are recognized in New York State. Plus, for governor, uh, you can file petitions and create your own lines as well. And uh, a p- person who appears on more than one party line, if it's the same governor and the same lieutenant governor, those votes will be added together for a total. And uh, George Pataki won the first year by having both the Republican and conservative line. His total beat the uh, Democrat Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, as in fact, Democrat Andrew Cuomo, if it were just one line, would have beaten George Pataki. But Pataki had conservative line and uh, and was able to win then. Uh, this year it becomes especially uh, uh, tricky for the Democrats because they have a, a primary not only for governor, but for lieutenant governor. And you have uh, their uh, one of their gubernatorial candidates, Cynthia Nixon. Uh, she's also the working families party candidate. So if she loses the if she loses the uh, Democratic primary and still stays on the uh, ballot as the Working Families Party, that's not good for Democrats. But there are ways to get rid of her, aren't there? Well, there are. And New York State is uh, unique also 
and that while in November you're voting for the governor and lieutenant governor together as a team, in the primary elections you're actually voting for the governor as a separate office from the lieutenant governor. So therefore the gubernatorial candidate that may be the victor may not be the one, uh, may not have his running mate uh, elected as a lieutenant governor, may end up in November as a, uh, with a different running mate. So, so Andrew Cuomo may end up with An- Andrew Cuomo may end up with uh, two or three different lines, but different uh, different lieutenant governor candidates on each, and that messes up fusion, doesn't it? That's correct. In in that case, the votes don't get added together for the candidate. It's only when the same governor and the same lieutenant governor so, appear on a particular. So one. so Andrew Cuomo would be running against himself. Well, in many respects, uh, that's correct. And, and Republicans have to be salivating at that, and Democrats have to be, you know, sweating about that. But there are ways for Democrats to solve that problem as long as, you know, people are willing to go along, right? Right. Well, there are various processes uh, for various offices. And uh, one of the uh, the main way to get on a ballot is by a petition process. And that petition process for congressional candidates was back in April. Uh, the petition process for uh, many of the other candidates uh, just completed in July. To decline a line once your name has been placed on a petition, you only have four days after the last date of file, which uh, this year was July 16th, to decline the nomination. Uh, yet there's provisions in the election law because certain offices, such as the U.S. or that the New York State Supreme Court, uh, their convention occurs in September, and if there was an incumbent or somebody running for office gets nominated for Supreme Court, there was a mechanism by which that person could decline an earlier nomination and move on. Uh, that has been kind of expanded by the, by the election law, and that's what's really used uh, in these processes to try to get somebody off the ballot because it's the last office uh, that is up. Uh, after the primary elections, where nominations occur after the primary election. So there are ways, if Cynthia Nixon were willing to go along, if uh, Williams, the other uh, um, lieutenant governor candidate, other than Kathy Hochul, were willing to go along, to remove them from the ballot and clean things up for the Democrats. But again, they would have to go along with it. That's correct. They'd have to go along with it, plus they'd have to meet the qualifications. So for Mm -hmm. a Supreme Court judge... Uh, you have to have, you have to be an attorney. You have to have 10 years uh, of practice, uh, you know, be admitted for a period of 10 years. Uh, so in the event that one of the candidates is not an attorney or hasn't, doesn't meet the qualifications, uh, there would also have to be other machinations which are, occur, which is say somebody take somebody from an assembly office, move that person up, create a vacancy in that office, then move somebody from uh, one of the offices that you're trying mm-hmm. to get out into that. It's, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. One more thing while I have you. Uh, the gubernatorial election every four years is important for the political parties because order of finish – uh, of the gubernatorial candidate makes a difference. Plus, whether you're recognized as a major party in New York State mm-hmm. depends upon your gubernatorial vote, and you have to receive 50,000 votes on that particular line uh, to be recognized as a party. Sure, not not combined lines, but lines, period. 
That's right, the individual line. So let's say uh, we've we've seen it happen with the Green Party line, where they um, received 50,000 votes in one year, they became a party for the next four years, then their candidate the following year didn't receive that uh, number of votes, and they lost their party status. And then they regained it. And then they regained it. Yeah, it's it's back and forth. And it also, the, the order... Uh, it also determines the order on the ballot for the following four years for the parties. I mean, you know, the conservative party and the green party, where they, where they are on the ballot is determined by how many votes they get the gubernatorial election. And also the top two parties get control of the boards of election right down to the county level. That, that's correct. And it gets even more important when you're talking about multiple offices, such as a vote for two or vote for more mm-hmm. uh, than one, because the higher line determines the order. Determines the order. Yeah. When, when you get some, uh, some, I remember some Supreme Court races where you had some candidates who were in effect orphaned out on the ballot and, and it was, it was just crazy. Ralph, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, uh, New York State is different. Uh, New York State's election law is difficult to understand. I'm glad we've got someone uh, like you, uh, uh, you know, who, who, who we can turn to, and I'm glad you took this time out this morning. I thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. All right. Thank you. That was Ralph Moore, Erie County Election Commissioner, the Republican Erie County Election Commissioner. The nice thing about our uh, elect, the, the good thing about elections in New York State, something I, I like, is the fact that it is bipartisan. For every Democrat, there's a Republican looking them, uh, looking at them one hand watching the other. Seems to work. At least it works for me. Listen, uh, we, we have to take a break now. When we come back, uh, Bob Klump, my guest co-host, uh, is going to be talking to us, uh, and talking to you about, uh, first about Supreme Court, then about some other issues that might be on our minds. Uh, if you hear something you want to call in about, I invite your participation. The number to call, 803-0930, 803-0930. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to Hardline. Kevin Hardwick here sitting with my guest co-host for the second hour, Bob Klump. Bob, uh, pre-law advisor at Canisius College, uh, professor there also, teaches a course or two. Um, uh, and shortly we'll invite your uh, participation, 803-0930, the number to call. Uh, Bob, let's talk about the Supreme Court. Um, you, you take a group of Canisius College students, by the way, down to uh, – uh, the Supreme Court every every yeah, uh, and sit in on oral arguments and do well getting pictures with a lot of the justices for our students. Yeah, uh, we've been doing the trip since 1991, and on two occasions, in 2015, we were privileged to actually have uh, about a two-hour meeting with Justice Thomas. And then last year, uh, in addition to getting reserve seating through Chief Justice Roberts' office, we were able to, he was offered to meet with us for an hour after the uh, oral arguments. Roberts, of course, spoke at Canisius back in 2010. So, so who do you think you'll, uh, you'll see there next year? Is it a foregone conclusion that, uh, Justice, it'll be a Justice Kavanaugh staring at you in the, uh, in the gallery there? It's looking increasingly like, uh, Kavanaugh is, is a sure bet. Now, Having said that, there are things that could happen. There is something that could surface during his confirmation hearings uh, that could derail the nomination. I think that's doubtful. So far, all the uh, Democrats have been able to come up with are things like how many basketball tickets he purchased on credit or the fact that he puts ketchup on pasta, or at least used to, which I personally would find a disqualification, but, <laughs> but most would not. And uh, I think that... Uh, it's, it, the tide 
Initially, uh, Chuck Schumer indicated that the Democrats are going to fight this tooth and nail. But the last couple of weeks, uh, there's a sense that I wouldn't say they've thrown in the towel, but they're beginning to recognize that uh, the math is going to rule here. And now that Rand Paul has announced that he's going to vote for Kavanaugh, and with no statements from the two moderate uh, female Republican senators, Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski, in any way suggesting that they're, uh, they have grave doubts about his nomination, there you have it. Uh, the Republicans have 51 seats. Is, is there, there is the hope still that uh, he'll be in place uh, by the first uh, Monday in October? Uh, that was uh, derailed somewhat this past week. Uh, a wrench was thrown in the machinery, so to speak, because of the vast volume of documents that uh, the committee, and particularly the Democrats on the committee, want produced from Kavanaugh's tenure as um, Associate White House Counsel, during George W. Bush's administration, and in particular, the million or more documents uh, that the Democrats at least would like to have from the time he served President Bush for almost three years as staff secretary. And the Republican Senator Grassley, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, has indicated that the counsel, his, his records as associate White House counsel are fair game, but not the million or more documents that were produced when he was staff in, secretary. In the grand scheme of things, does it make a difference if it's delayed a month or so, if he's not there for the beginning of the term? It, it really doesn't matter. The The only difference it could make in the event that there were, you know, there are all of these uh, lower court decisions that have been percolating, mm-hmm. entering injunctive relief against the president. Say, for instance, the decision by a, a federal district judge just the other day on DACA. Uh, that said that in 20 days the president has to resume President Obama's DACA, uh, DACA program for, um, for immigrants. And that presumably is going to be immediately appealed if it took the fast track to the Supreme Court and there were only eight members on the court. If there were a 4-4 tie, which there could well be on that issue, that would have the effect of leaving the lower court mm-hmm. decision in place. So there could be an impact. I think there's a slight chance of that. But presumably the uh, the nomination is going to be voted on before the election well, so he would join. Well, you were in the you were in the federal court system. You were a, a clerk for a magistrate, federal magistrate. A federal district judge, right. A federal district judge here in, in Buffalo. Um, who determines uh, what gets on the fast track? Who determines the docket of the Supreme Court? I mean, they, they agree to accept certain cases, the rule of four and all that. But uh, if there's a particular case that looks like it might go 4-4, in most cases that can be bumped to later in the term when uh, when Judge Kavanaugh, assuming he gets uh, uh, confirmed, is seated? Yes. Uh, the court, uh, a justice who thinks that the there's a 4-4 tie and it's not going to be in his or her favor could vote to deny certiorari on such a case that would have the effect of postponing it. It would be tough, on the other hand, for the court to do that if it were a matter of extreme national importance, mm-hmm. like DACA is right now. Yes. So I don't, I couldn't predict what would happen if uh, if there were to be an appeal for the court to to take uh, an, appe- an immediate appeal. Do you see the pending confirmation of another Trump appointment, be it Kavanaugh or someone else, 
having an influence on state legislatures around the country and the sorts of things that they are up to. I mean, trying to get things that would not have passed under the, the old court with uh, with Kennedy there. Now they say, well, and I'm thinking of things like abortion measures and, and such. Let's get this in there so we can get this case ready to go. I think that's true. And as you know, in recent years, uh, attorneys general, Republican attorneys mm-hmm. general, state attorneys general under President Obama and uh now Democratic attorneys general under President Trump, uh, including whoever the New York attorney general is right now, uh, have been uh, have been banding together to try to challenge administrative federal administrative actions they don't like. And I think that with Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, there would be a tendency on the part of Republican attorneys general who wanted and, and state legislatures who wanted to pass legislation in areas like you touched on mm-hmm. uh, curbing abortion. I think that they would feel more comfortable in, in imposing additional we're, restrictions. We're, we're going to have to finish this uh, after the break. Neil McManus is standing by with the uh, bottom of the hour news. Uh, and I guess when I come back, I'll ask my guest uh, co-host, Bob Klump, how long it takes a case, say an abortion case from its inception, to, to work its way through the federal court system to the Supreme Court. Uh, all that and more, your calls are welcome, 803 I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to the program. Kevin Hardwick sitting here with my guest host, uh, Bob Klump of Canisius College. He's the pre-law advisor there. Uh, before we uh, before we ask another question, Bob, before we go to the phones at 803-0930, I've uh, got to bring in my uh, producer uh, filling in for Joe Beamer today, Pasquale Maggiore. Pasquale, uh, you have something in common with uh, with Beamer. You're, uh, you're a Mets fan, long-suffering Mets fan. Yes, we both like the punishment and pain. Yeah, you a masochist too. I mean, he's now he's Virginia Tech, of course. You know that football and all that. I mean, you don't you do follow a college? Hopefully, Canisius. No, no, I'm just a, I'm Bills and Mets. That's, that's Bills, Bills and Mets. That you you could do a lot worse than Bills and Mets. Well, hopefully, we'll be, both be happier a lot sooner. And again, as I told you when I came in, we'll always have the first half of April when the Mets went what twelve and one or something. That's right. We it, can always say wait till next year. Wait till next year. And we we began saying that by the end of April. Thank you, Pasquale. Bob, before uh, again, I want to go to the phones uh, shortly. We have some people calling in. I'll get right to them. But the question I said I would ask you uh, before the break: How long does it take? Of course, if I'm a, if I'm a state legislator in uh, Pennsylvania or Georgia or wherever, and I say, you know, we're going to have this Kavanaugh guy in the Supreme Court, and uh, they, they will overturn Roe versus Wade, and I want to get a test case to them, so let's pass a law in our state so it'll get challenged and make its way up to the Supreme Court. How long does that process take? Not well, to pass the law, but to, to go through the state, uh, the federal court system. Yeah. Ordinarily, if a case follows the normal route where you have a proceeding that's initiated in front of a federal district judge, he or she then makes a decision, uh, given the, um, given the enormous caseload that a lot of federal district judges have today, that can vary enormously. Buffalo, for instance, is one of the busiest in the country. So you could be talking about a, a significant delay there of up to a year, possibly more. Um, if it were in the posture of a request for a temporary restraining order against the kind of legislation mm-hmm. you're talking about, there could be a faster decision. Uh, but then, of course, before going to the Supreme Court, ordinarily uh, uh, the first appeal is taken to a federal circuit court, like New York mm-hmm. would go to the Second Circuit. That would consume further time. So in the regular course of things, it could take anywhere from two to three years or more 
for a case to get up to the Supreme Court. And that, of course, for the court to take a case, as we discussed prior to the break, would require at least four of nine members of the court voting to take the case. Now, there are procedures where, of course, a a case of extraordinary importance can get up there a Mm -hmm. lot faster. The Watergate tapes case, for instance, the steel seizure case under Mm -hmm. Harry Truman, where a process called the the court grants cert before judgment in the court of appeals. And I won't get into the technicalities of that, but that could certainly happen in the kind of uh, scenario that uh, you're envisioning. Uh, but And there, to, to be yeah. fair, there are probably some cases, not only abortion cases, but others in the pipeline already oh, on uh, their way to the absolutely. Supreme Court. Absolutely, okay. sure. All right, let's, uh, I said we'd go to the phones, 803-0930, the number to call. Let's go first to Barbara, Barbara in Chictawaga. Barbara, welcome to the program. Thank you for holding. Thank you. Good morning, Kevin. I love your program. Oh, God bless you, Barbara. You can call in any time. I had a question for Mr. Klump. I am confused by the ruling, the recent ruling from that court about DACA, because understanding is, is that DACA was not a law, so how can a court make a ruling on something that's not a law? Well, it's not surprising uh, that you would you would be confused about the court's ruling, because essentially, stepping back a minute, President Obama's uh, commencement of the DACA program was not itself a law. It was, in effect, an executive decision that he made that many observers think was contrary to the immigration law and that he had no authority to make. It was an exercise of his discretion. Now President Trump uh, is exercising his discretion, claiming that Obama's decision was improper, uh, to, in effect, revoke, uh, revoke uh, Obama's decision. And, curiously, a federal district judge uh, decided that uh, Trump's exercise of his discretion isn't sufficiently supported by the facts and and certain other things and therefore DACA has to has to remain in place as to your question as to how the court can rule on something that's not a law uh federal courts and state courts for that matter often rule on decisions and measures that are undertaken by executive officers whether it be the president at the national level or a governor at the state level they have the jurisdiction typically uh, to rule on executive actions, even if there's no law that's at issue. Although in this case, there really is an underlying law, the immigration laws of the United States that are um, are implicated by Obama's DACA decision. Barbara, does that answer the question? It does. It clears it up, and I thank you very much. You're welcome. You're thank welcome. you. That was Barbara from Chictawaga. A line opens up. You can get it at 803-0930, 803-0930. Sitting here with Bob Klump, the pre-law advisor at Canisius College, also teaches a couple of courses in con law there, a colleague of mine. Uh, let's go next to John, John in Rochester. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Bob. Kevin, I love your show too. Even though you're from Canisius. Uh, well, all right, yeah, we're we're not going to go there. Bob is from Canisius too, right? Actually, Bob went to Canisius. Yes, right? I did. I went to Binghamton, but Bob went to Canisius. I just I just taught for the last 29 years at Canisius. I I, I love Canisius. I really do. I know a lot of Canisius grants, and all of them successful. Every one of them. But listen. This part of the program, by the way, is brought to you by Canisius College, where (laughs) they used to say leaders were made. Do they still make them there, Bob? Do we make leaders anymore? I I think it's safe to say we make a lot of leaders. I'm sorry, John. Go go ahead. Yeah, Bob, my question is this. Uh, The uh, bias that's shown, at at least in the recent history, when the Senate Democrats uh, lobby against a, uh, a Supreme Court justice like Gorsuch or Kavanaugh or whatever, 
and you look at uh, Sotomayor and Kagan, uh, the Republic, they, from my, rec- my recollection, both Kagan and Sotomayor, when the final vote came to the Senate, it was overwhelmingly for both those uh, nominees, whereas Gorsuch, it was like razor thin. What's, what's up with the Democrats in nonpartisanship? What's your thoughts there? John, John I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you on the line, so don't hang up. I'm going to let Bob answer, and then I want to get into it a little bit. Well, I think it's fair to say that since the defeat of Robert Bork in 1987, the whole process has become much more politicized. It's also fair to say that uh, when President Clinton nominated Justices Ginsburg and Breyer and then later Obama nominated uh, Kagan and Sotomayor, that Republican opposition was pretty muted. There were a couple dozen Republican senators who voted against both Sotomayor and Kagan, but there was really no effort to derail of the confirmation. I think one big difference here with Gorsuch is that the perception is that Kennedy's was the swing seat and now the Democrats fear that you're, you're, uh, you mean with transforming with Kavanaugh. I'm sorry. Not Gorsuch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that with Kavanaugh, you're swinging, uh, the balance on the court over the conservative side. So I think that's the explanation for the heightened opposition. But going back to Gorsuch, it's obvious that the Democrats John, are John, John, you're not, you're not here in uh, Amherst at the studio, but uh, you're there in Rochester. But I can hear a lot of our listeners, our Democratic listeners, out there yelling. Uh, I, I can open the window and hear them yelling, what about Merrick Garland? What about Merrick Garland? I mean, you know, I mean, doesn't this work both ways, John? Well, not really, because that was a decision really made on the Garland issue. That was a decision made by one guy, Mitch McConnell, I think. Uh, Bob, you have... I, I think the Merrick Garland point uh, coming from Democrats is a fair point. It's clear that Mitch McConnell would not have been able to sustain not giving Merrick Garland a hearing throughout 2016 without the overwhelming support of the Republican caucus, and the Republicans were on board. I mean, McConnell deserves the most credit for that, but uh, it, it's a fair point that, uh, in effect, Garland didn't even make it to uh, the committee. Yeah, I I, uh, I thought, by the way, that uh, the big loser in the 2016 election was Merrick Garland because if Hillary Clinton won, then the the Republicans would have would have uh, confirmed him uh, by the by the next week probably because they didn't want Hillary to appoint a judge and Garland was picked specifically because he you know let's face it he was he was liberal but he was more middle of the road liberal yeah and his his credentials were outstanding even uh justice uh designee uh, kavanaugh yeah. has been on record as praising him okay john thanks for the call we're up against a break i appreciate the call as always uh we uh, drop john if you want that line give us a call 8030930 we've got one more segment with bob clump of canisius college pre-law advisor we'll be talking more supreme court and, and maybe some other trump issues after the break i'm kevin hardwick you're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Hey, welcome back to Hardline. Kevin Hardwick here for one last segment with my guest co-host, uh, Bob Klump from Canisius College. He of the uh, pre-law advising, uh, the Reichley Pre-Law Center. Um, you know, which is something I should have mentioned earlier. We ought to we ought to throw some props to the Reichley family. Um, what can you tell us about uh, about the pre-law center there at Canisius? Well, uh, the pre-law center, which was started as a result of gifts made to the college by Frank Reichley, uh, a local lawyer of national uh, renown, back in the early 1980s, uh, we offer a wide variety of programs for pre-law students. We have the annual Reichley lecture, under the auspices of which we've had a half dozen members. Uh, 
current and former of the U.S. Supreme Court speak at the college. Mo- we do most recently the uh, Chief Justice. The Chief Justice uh, of the United States. And we had his predecessor, and Chief they are, Justice Rehnquist. And they are unlike other uh, colleges' lecture series. They are free and open to the public. Yes, they are. And we'll be having one coming up uh, in the spring the, to be announced. And we do a lot of other things, including the Washington, D.C. trip that we discussed earlier that we've been doing for many, many years. And we help students find internships and placement even uh, even after they're in law school. So we truly are a full-service pre-law department. Yeah, mentioned, mentioned the, the, the Reichley family and everything that they did and, and lawyers that we need to throw some praise to. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, follow my wife's direction to throw some praise in the direction of William Matar. Uh, my wife, a Buffalo school teacher, was at an event they had the other day where the Matar firm was handing out pencils, and my wife got about 250 pencils for her kids. I said, oh, that should last your kids in uh, South Buffalo at Houghton Academy for a year, and she said, no way. They'll be through them in a week. So thank you to the uh, Matar people for that. Listen, um, um, what, uh, back, back to the Kavanaugh thing. Uh, you've done some research. What do we, what do we know or what do people think they know about his voting record? Well, people assume, commentators assume that Kavanaugh, of course, is conservative. Now, the problem we have with the increasing politicization of, of the judiciary is that there is an assumption that if a judge or a justice votes one way and as a result of that vote, uh, X party loses, then the judge is opposed to whatever group X party represents. A case in point would be there was an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal about Kavanaugh's votes on um, on business and union-related issues. And they noted that in a case in which the D.C. Circuit, in which he now sits, ruled that a Brooklyn kosher meat wholesaler had committed an unfair labor practice by refusing to bargain with a union that was formed in part with votes from undocumented workers, Kavanaugh dissented. And in his dissent, he said, well, illegal immigrant workers aren't protected under the National Labor Relations Act. That immediately becomes perceived as Kavanaugh is anti-union or conceivably that he's also anti-immigrant. And that's not a correct reading of, uh, that's not, not what the correct reading should be of how judges vote. But it's inevitable on both the left and the right, that uh, that people react today in a political fashion. On the other side of the spectrum, uh, conservatives are, were very concerned about a vote that Kavanaugh cast on Obamacare, which some allege uh, provided the roadmap to Chief Justice Roberts' decision upholding Obamacare. And it really wasn't intended to have that purpose. He was analyzing one of the jurisdictional prerequisites for the court taking a case. So unfortunately, uh, that happens. Got, got about three minutes left. We talk about the judiciary a lot. Let me turn our attention to the legislative branch and national elections. I, uh, I, of course, am on vacation from Canisius College for another three weeks, so I don't pay attention to any of this. You, Bob, never take a vacation, and you've been keeping up on national elections. I guess I'm just assuming that the House is going to go Democratic and the Senate is going to remain Republican. I have nothing whatsoever to base that on, only uh, except putting my finger to the wind. Uh, am I? Are they fair assumptions? I think that's a fair assumption. Certainly, uh, if I were a betting man, I would I would be willing to put significant money on the Democrats retaking control of the House. 
the upcoming special election this Tuesday in the 12th Congressional District in Ohio, traditionally a strongly Republican district, the two candidates are running neck and neck. If the Democrats take that district and Trump intends to campaign there for the Republican candidate, I think that's a harbinger, an even stronger harbinger of uh, the Democrats retaking the House. The Senate, on the other hand, I would agree the odds are maybe 70-30 in favor of the Republicans keeping control because there are so many Democratic seats up. If 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 you're a Republican, uh, if you're a conservative, um, you probably can live with that result. It'd be if the Senate went down and the confirmation and the judges that would that would really hurt because that would be more permanent. Yeah, I think if the Democrats take the House legislatively, there's going to pretty much be gridlock, mm-hmm. which some Republicans would view as not necessarily George, George the worst Will's, thing. George uh, yeah. favorite words from the Constitution or from the First Amendment, the beginning: "Congress shall make no law." <laughs> He puts a period after it, but um, uh, it, uh, it 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 you, you know there would also be, however, people point out they get one branch or one yeah one uh, one house say the House of Representatives there would be the investigation the of subpoena course. powers and that could be tough for the Trump people yeah and of course it could ultimately lead to impeachment but to what purpose because there's obviously not going to be a conviction in they're the not Senate. going to get convicted and and Trump would use that as a uh, you know a, a, that would wake up the base that would. Probably wouldn't be wise to impeach the president. Well, one commentator suggested the other day that Trump may actually want a Democratic want House. Want a Democratic House so he'll have a foil. Yeah. He can, you know, it'd be Nancy Pelosi this and that, assuming Nancy Pelosi would be the speaker, would be this and that. Do you, do you put any credence in that? I mean, really, it's kind of Machiavellian, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think Trump is, I, I think he's too blunt about everything to be perceived as Machiavellian, but you never know. Yeah. Well, listen, we've had a, a wide-ranging discussion, everything from Supreme Court to Trump to the, uh, the national elections uh, to, uh, to, of course, my uh, um, uh, fill-in uh, producer here for Joe Beamer, Pasquale uh, Majori, for his, uh, his masochism and his love, like mine, of the uh, New York Mets. It's been an interesting show. I want to thank all my guests today. We'll be back next week with another show. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.